Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Robert Zirk, and joining me today again as guest co-host is RC360 senior producer, Sonny Primolo. On today's show, the Bowler Trailer is celebrating its 50th anniversary this weekend, and you're invited to take part in the festivities. We'll speak with Ian Giles, organizer of the event that's celebrating a half century of the iconic trailers that were invented right here in Winnipeg. Then, Manitoba Underground Opera is set to launch its 2018 season tonight. General Manager Brendan McKean joins us to talk about the four shows that are part of its season called Obsession, and how those shows reimagine classic operatic works. And this Saturday, Swords and Sabres is taking place at Coronation Park. Kathy Dick and Catherine Drummond from Sons of Lou will join us to talk about the pirate, renaissance, steampunk, and Viking-themed event. We'll also speak with Brigitte Depape, Youth Engagement Coordinator at the Winnipeg Foundation, to talk about the Summer Internship Program and how it's helping young people build skills and gain experience with local charities. And this week's RC360 Road Trip takes us to Cooks Creek, Manitoba, where we visit the Cooks Creek Heritage Museum in advance of its 46th annual Heritage Day on August 26, which this year celebrates the museum's 50th anniversary. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello and welcome to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today. My co-host Nolan is once again on holiday this week. So joining me in the studio is RC360 senior producer Sonny Primolo. Sonny, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. The weather is definitely starting to uh, pick up in terms of my liking. I like it a little bit cooler, so it's a little bit better for me. <laughs> yeah, we've had some all over the map weather. It was like 37 the other day. Wow. Yeah, I would hate to be a meteorologist right now. <laughs> Always unpredictable. If there's one thing to predict about Manitoba weather, it is that it is always unpredictable. <laughs> that being said, what I can predict is that we have a fantastic lineup on the show today. Um, we're going to be speaking about the Manitoba Underground Opera. They're launching their 2018 season. Swords and Sabres Festival is happening this weekend. We've got a road trip that's heading just northeast of the city in Cooks Creek, Manitoba. We'll be visiting the Cooks Creek Heritage Museum. But our first story of the day, Sonny, have you ever camped in a uh, bowler trailer? You know, I didn't know I have not, but I've always wanted to. Those things are really cool looking. Yeah, I, you know, I haven't either, but I'd be interested in seeing what exactly they're like. It looks like they pack a lot into a very, very small space. And as it turns out, these trailers are celebrating their 50th anniversary this weekend. They're a Winnipeg invention, and we're going to speak with the organizer of the event, Ian Giles, to learn all about it. We always start the show off with a song, so to celebrate these trailers, how about Happy Trails? Here it is by the Cincinnati Pops Orchestra featuring Eric Kunzel right here on River City 360. Happy trails to you Until we meet again Happy trails to you Keep smiling until then Who cares about the clouds Just sing a song and bring the sunny weather Happy trails to you Till we meet again 
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined via telephone by Ian Giles. He is the organizer of the Bowler 50th anniversary event that's happening actually today, but also throughout the weekend. Ian, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me, Robert. So first and foremost, let's talk a little bit about the Bowler trailers themselves. They're very recognizable, very iconic trailers. Tell us a little bit about the history of the bowler because there's also a Winnipeg connection and that's the reason for this event. That's that's right. There's a complete Winnipeg connection here. The the bowler was actually first introduced in Winnipeg and designed by a fellow by the name of Ray Oleko. The bowler most people are aware of them, the little rounded uh, tiny little trailers. But not all, they're unique for several reasons. First of all, they're made of uh, of fiberglass. And these aren't just sheet fiberglass, it's actually molded fiberglass. So kind of think of it as two bathtub halves being joined together to form a seamless structure. So one huge advantage of these trailers is they don't have seams that leak. The only uh, areas that you get leakage in them is around the windows eventually, uh, the, the weather stripping deteriorates and needs replacing. But because most of them don't have any wood involved with them at all, there's really nothing to uh, to rot or deteriorate. So this is one reason you see so many on the road still. Uh, they were made from 1968 to 1988 in a variety of plants, including uh, two locations in Winnipeg, one on Higgins and one on Dufferin, and as well as in Ontario, in Alberta, and British Columbia. What are some other features that um, that are characteristic of a bowler trailer? First and foremost, they're, they're extremely light. The, uh, the loaded weight of a bowler, which, by the way, will sleep a family of four. It's cozy, but it will sleep a family of four. Um, they weigh about 14 to 1,500 pounds on average. Uh, some people will try to advertise them for less, but I'm being realistic that they're around the 1,500-pound range. Inside of them, there is a dinette at the back that converts into a double bed. On the side, there is a kitchen, which uh, includes a two-burner stove with a sink. And on the front, there's a couch that converts into bunk beds for the kids, along with a, a closet. So they are, they're cozy, quite often referred to as a fiberglass egg, or a, uh, I refer to them quite often as a bed in a box. But, uh, I mean, the, the longevity of them is, is a huge factor. The vintage look and uh, appeal of them is really, really popular right now. And Bowler really started the whole manufacturing process in North America to make molded fiberglass trailers. And over the years, uh, it's over 40 different manufacturers have been involved in making uh, molded fiberglass trailers. And even today, I believe there's still 14 companies that make trailers in a similar fashion to the way Bowler was first made. Now, uh, as we mentioned, the Bowler 50th anniversary is happening. It's actually on now. Uh, it started yesterday for Bowler owners that are coming down to Winnipeg, uh, happening at Red River Exhibition Park. How many bowlers are going to be in Winnipeg this weekend, and where is everybody coming from? We have over 450 trailers coming from all over North America. They're coming from the Canadian coast to coast. We have uh, a couple coming from um, Newfoundland, quite a few, a large group coming from Vancouver Island. We have an owner coming from Yellowknife. 
and all 10 provinces uh, are represented, as well as, I believe the last count was 23 U.S. states there's people coming up from. So I'm sure a lot of your listeners are going to see lots of these little trailers tootling around town and that on their way here. We have six caravans coming into the event. So yesterday they arrived. Uh, So that's what all those trailers were. So we've got great representation. Out of that, over 450 uh, trailers coming, over 70% of those are actual original bowlers, ranging from the 1968 right up to 1988 versions. An event like this, of course, has been a huge undertaking. Couldn't have done it without some key volunteers. So I want to do a shout-out to Rick Moyman, who's my co-host for the event, uh, Linda Warner, who has organized all of the caravans, and Don Marcotte, who has looked after a phenomenal edu- entertainment schedule during the event. For attendees that are there this weekend, what are some of the events that are taking place for bowler owners? The whole bowler community, is, it's really about the community. The trailers are our common interest, but it's the people within that community that really form the foundation. When you buy one of these trailers, you literally join a, a sorority or a cult as such that uh, it's, I refer to them as memory makers. The, the bowler just makes memories for generations. So we have a lot of fun activities for the uh, participants, which include, uh, oh, a morning stretch. Let's do a little bit of yoga and Pilates. And then that is followed up by mass ukulele lessons. Many of the bowler owners and fiberglass trailer owners are very musical. They love music. We love sitting around the campfire, either playing ourselves or listening to it. They're small trailers. Ukuleles are small, and they're quite uh, easy to learn. So uh, that's why ukulele lessons are happening. Then we have workshops planned on everything from sewing your own cushions and curtains through photography. We've got workshops for participants on boondocking, which is camping without services and plug-ins and the, the niceties, so to say. We have a fellow by the name of Randy Jaynes coming out of Saskatoon. Randy has developed the largest 3D printer in the world and is actually bringing his prototype of a 3D printed trailer, which could be the next generation of molded fiberglass. We have uh, new trailer showcases there. So some of the manufacturers are showing off brand new units that you uh, you can purchase today from their factories. We have vendors there. Then in the evening, we, uh, we have musical entertainment. For the participants, we have some, uh, some great bands, both within the bowler community as well as local uh, Manitoba and uh, Canadian bands playing. And I encourage your listeners, on um, Saturday, August 18th, the event is open to the public. So for a $10 gate admission, you are welcome to come down to Red River Exhibition Park Many, many of the owners will have their trailer doors open so you can go around, look at and through these, uh, these trailers, talk to the owners about what they've done with them. There's uh, everything from original 1968. In fact, I believe uh, trailer number 17 is going to be at the event, uh, as well as 
right through to highly customized bowler trailers that are being pulled by matching hot rods. So if any of our listeners are interested in visiting on Saturday or just want to learn more about the event or or learn a little bit more about the history of the bowler, uh, where can they go to get more information? The event website is mybowler.com. So that is M-Y-B-O-L-E-R.com. And I also run two websites kind of dedicated to bowler owners to try to help them with any problems and and repairs and that. And those ones are bowler.ca and bowler-camping.com. I just want to welcome all of the listeners out there. Come and visit us. You'll be amazed. This is a historic event. I'm sure you will never see 450 of these trailers in one spot again in your in your lifetime it's going to be absolutely amazing to see all these trailers and and the excitement that uh, is within the group and the community ian thank you so much again for speaking with us today about the bowler anniversary and about uh, and about bowlers in general well thank you very much for having me on robert really appreciate it Thanks, Robert. Coming up after the break, we'll learn about the Manitoba Underground Opera and its 2018 season titled Obsession. One of its shows, Don Giovanni, opens at the Winnipeg Art Gallery tonight, and we'll speak with the general manager, Brendan McKean, to learn more about it. But first, here's National Philharmonic Orchestra with Mozart's Don Giovanni on River City 360.
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I'm now joined by Brendan McKean. He's the general manager of Manitoba Underground Opera. Brendan, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. What is it about the art of opera that draws you into it? Well, that one is for sure easy. I am definitely somebody with a lot of feelings. I am an extrovert, and opera is about everything always being elevated. It's loud singing, it is big emotions, and you can't help but just be pulled right into it. It's kind of like theater on steroids sort of thing. I've always said, when in doubt, you know, all the feels. And that's what opera has, all of the feels. Manitoba Underground Opera has a very busy week ahead with its 2018 season called Obsession. I want to talk about each of the shows in a little more detail, but I'm wondering if you can speak to the theme. Why Obsession and and how does it link these four different shows together? Our company tends to kind of gravitate towards operas that also have a social impact to it. And so that's kind of where sometimes our, our process starts in planning a whole season. And we land on shows that really use the best Winnipeg talent in the best way and then supplement and bring in these artists from across Canada and all come together and so we landed on the the four things we picked and we looked at them and went wow we really picked a season that's all about obsession it's about ideas and how we fixate on them and maybe they're not good things about us but maybe they are good things but it's all about kind of what drives us about certain things that just that consume us that we can't let go of and what that can lead us to. Tonight, August 16th, is the opening night for Don Giovanni, composed by Mozart, and uh, and that takes place at the Winnipeg Art Gallery. I noticed online it's kind of reimagined for the Me Too movement as well, it was saying. Exactly. We start our planning usually in around the fall period of time, and that's when a lot of media attention was, was really coming out. And our company is myself, and then three others who are all women based in different parts of the continent. So it was really interesting to see the three points of view from the three different lives in different places and have them all come together. And we just kind of went, we need to do Don Giovanni this year. It's a story that is very classic. It's very old, but it's incredibly poignant for what is going on right now. So we always try to make sure that there's a good, there's always relevancy opera is very much you can say oh it's powdered wigs that are six feet tall and i'll sit in the fifth balcony and it will be quite glamorous and we go no we want you to be in the third row we want you to really be able to see the singers breathe maybe get hit by a little fleck of spit depending on if you're in the front row and really feel this heightened storytelling of what we think is very relevant now so we're very excited. Don Giovanni is in the art gallery. So you will be in the Eckhart Gramite Hall and then you'll move into the auditorium. And the auditorium is actually where there's a wedding because there's a wedding in Don Giovanni. And then move back to the hall for a lovely intermission slash gala celebration if you are able to come to our opening or closing nights and then see the dramatic comeuppance. And I don't want to spoil it for you, but I can say it is quite dramatic and not everybody lives. That's so cool that it's so, it's immersive. The audience isn't just sitting down, as you mentioned, they're going from place to place. They're kind of going along with the story. Exactly. We find, um, we do a lot of our shows in unconventional locations. We find that that uh, becomes something so much bigger than what it can be. Like if you've been to the St. Boniface Cathedral recently, you've seen how tall that is. And if you were to build that as a set, 
it would just be impossible. So it's when you get there, you're in a completely removed place that is somewhat familiar because it's Winnipeg and we all know all of each other. But suddenly you're looking at something in a completely different way. And you mentioned the uh, the St. Boniface Cathedral, and that's actually where the show that's opening tomorrow, August 17th, Papea, is opening up. It's described as a little bit opera and a little bit experimental theater. Can you tell us how those elements meet? Yes, absolutely. But first, I want to say excellent pronunciation of Papea. I had that to look that great. up. <laughs> oh, the work was worth it. It's experimental. It's an uh, one of the first operas written, so it's different than what you usually hear. And what we kind of said is, well, that's really beautiful. What happens if there's orchestra members playing on stage? What if the orchestra themselves becomes a character in the show? So what you're going to see is nine singers on the stairs of the cathedral. And you're also going to see six instrumentalists holding their instruments, playing memorized music to accompany the singers. And you're even going to see one singer who actually will be singing and playing violin going back and forth. Uh, So this sort of thing is not common in opera, especially. It's been kind of created. The story itself is a great backbone. And we said, let's add stuff and experiment and play around. So it's something we've never done and something I I think has been very rare in opera in general. In recent years, Manitoba Underground Opera has been hosting concerts that benefit local charitable organizations, and the one that's set on Saturday, August 18th, is called Female Fortitude, a benefit concert that's supporting Ikwe Wajidawin. Tell us a little bit more about uh, about that show, and uh, what can people expect to hear? Yeah, we're, we're so pumped about that one. There will be seven singers, all sopranos, and there is an orchestra of just about 20, and all of them have given their time completely 100 percent to this and the venue at united church in meadowood has donated their space completely so we're very lucky to have this group of people all saying 100 percent, don't pay us we want to do this so every single dollar in ticket sales goes to that charity and that to me is just really wonderful and that's what you get in winnipeg you get a lot of people who are willing to help out and donate and know that we want to make the world a better place. So in terms of the concert, uh, you'll hear seven arias, uh, which is the uh, songs, and two duets. And it's going to be all about women in the opera world, characters in the opera world, that all make very strong decisions. This is the woman who says, I'm going to outsmart that man, or I am so powerful that I can wander into the mountains and I'll be fine, or somebody being given an ultimatum by her father and going, you know, I'm going to choose my own path. Let's move on. So there's some happy moments and then there are some sad moments. And then in between that will be interspersed with stories of historical figures of, of women who've done wonderful things. And you'll notice there'll be some familiar, but there'll also be some women you may not have ever heard of before. We, we did lots of wonderful research and that was a wonderful part, just reading stories of great women doing things. Uh, So I'm actually conducting that concert, and that's pretty much my role. I'm going to stand there and conduct, and all the women involved in the company are going to tell their stories. And it's just great that we can take that moment and then also do something concrete 
to help the world by making a large donation. That's wonderful. And there's also a production that uh, that puts an operatic spin on a children's classic. There's a couple more performances left. Tell us a little bit about Jack and the Beanstalk. Yes, so excited. Art doesn't survive unless you get some education going on. So it is a 40-minute show, Gilbert and Sullivan with English over top of it, so it's entirely in English, good for kids, and it is free. We're so excited. Winnipeg Public Libraries is happily presenting us at two more of their libraries coming up, and it's suitable for ages 5 to 11, and it is so funny. There are big props. There's a man who is about 6'4", playing the giant, and he puts a bucket over his head and we've actually done a couple of them already and the kids are loving it and that just makes us even happier that it's not just always about the adults that children should also learn about what they can do you know creatively be exposed to the arts yeah so really funny and adults will love it too and we still have a few seats left at the millennium library show which is on the 23rd and again it's completely free you just have to register online for that one So a great lineup of shows to see all pretty much within the next week. If any of our listeners would like to check out any of these performances for themselves, uh, how can they get more information or purchase tickets? Absolutely. ManitobaUndergroundOpera.com. Just use the whole name and put a .com at the end of it. You'll be able to see the overview of the whole season, and then you'll see pictures of all the lovely artists involved, and we have a box office section. So... You can go to the box office, and if you're looking for a Jack and the Beanstalk specifically, there's a little link on that page that takes you right to the public library's registration point. Excellent. Is there a, is there a phone number that people can call as well? Absolutely. 204-981-6514. And I'm usually the one that uh, is there, so feel free to reach out to me anytime. I, I think I recently heard someone say, if you like cats, feel free to call. So we're also fine with that. Every one of us loves cats, too. All right. And as Brendan mentioned, uh, if you're interested in learning about any of the shows, part of the Manitoba Underground Opera's season called Obsession that's happening from August 16th to the 24th, you can visit manitobaundergroundopera.com for information or tickets. Uh, Brendan McKean is the general manager of Manitoba Underground Opera. Brendan, thank you so much for joining me today. Such a pleasure. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, Robert. Coming up next, we'll sit down with Kathy Dick and Catherine Drummond from Sons of Lou to talk about the upcoming Swords and Sabres event happening this weekend. Grab your shields because you won't want to miss this one. But first, here's King Brothers with Sabre Dance on River City 360. My heart begins to tingle when the bells begin to jingle. Ziggity sing sing, ziggity sing sing. Every time they play the Sabre Dance. My heartbeat tries to capture all the rhythm and the rapture Ziggity sing sing, ziggity sing sing Every time they play the sabre dance I love the spell I'm under when the drums begin to thunder Bumbity bum bum, bumbity bum bum Like the tempo of a tropic rain when I hear trumpets blaring, I can feel adventure flaring. Rat-a-tat-tat, rat-a-tat-tat. I am in a mood I can't explain. I drift to an isle of perfume, where summer roses eternally bloom. 
Welcome back to River City 360. I'm Sonny Promolo, and with me today is Kathy Dick, event coordinator, and Catherine Drummond, merchant coordinator from Sons of Lou for the Swords and Sabres Festival. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Give me a little bit of history about Swords and Sabres. Uh, when did it start? The first Swords and Sabres Festival was held June 9th, 2012. Some people had an idea. People like pirates, adventures, swords, combat, dressing up, princesses, knights, villains, heroes, <laughs> etc. Winnipeg needed a place for people who love to use their imaginations to gather, live in the moment, and become part of the adventure. A few cosplay and reenactment groups latched onto that idea and jumped at the chance to share their passion. Local merchants created an open market to sell their medieval type wares. Curiosity was alive that day, with people of all ages, some in costumes, arriving to see what was going on. Thus, Swords and Sabres was born. Where is Swords and Sabres held? It's in Coronation Park, St. Mary's Road in Taché, Saturday, August 18th, from 11 a.m. until 6 p.m. It's free admission, there's street parking in the area, and tons of bus stops for easy access. Rain or shine. What should people expect when they get to the festival? We have a lot of fun, exciting things to do this year. Uh, Forum Arts Centre, which is located in one corner of the park, is having an open house on the same day, and they are offering a variety of art-in-the-park activities for kids and for those young at heart. There will be a full village of showcase groups giving a glimpse of what life was like during the medieval era and the Viking Age, as well as cosplay groups showing their unique way to have fun. In the arena and on stage, we have a full lineup of combat demonstrations from several eras, dance performances, and there's even a kitty battle on the schedule. Hmm. Kids should definitely make sure to join the treasure hunt, and everyone should bring a tin for the bin for Winnipeg Harvest to get a free raffle ticket for incredible prize baskets donated by our makers, showcase groups, and local businesses. You can also buy 10 raffle tickets for $10 for more chances to win, and the proceeds from the raffle will be split between Winnipeg Harvest and kids programming at future Swords and Sabres festivals. You mentioned that there's going to be some merchants there, so what kind of merchants can people see? Well, there will be a variety of uh, local makers uh, mm. selling their handmade wares. There will be handmade jewelry, jams. Mm. They sound delicious. There will be uh, some costume items. And, oh gosh, there's so many things. Um, there's one maker who does birdhouses, bat houses, butterfly houses. That sounds really interesting. There's a beard oil company and somebody called the Viking Merchant. You also mentioned that there's going to be cosplay involved. And there's a little bit of LARPing from what I hear. Yes. Yes, actually, we have uh, quite a few uh, combat demonstrations or festival activity sets from Frontier LARP 
the Society for Creative Anachronism, Castle Barony Rouge will be there. Um, of course, us as the Vikings, um, the Sons of Lou Viking reenactment will have living history as well as combat. Um, and there's even more surprises and we even have some steampunk. We do. That's awesome. <laughs> And we actually encourage anybody who's coming to the festival to dress up as well, because that's always fun. Very cool. And for those that don't have uh, costumes themselves, you mentioned that they can purchase costumes at the festival. Is that correct? There are a couple of vendors who will have some costume pieces. Uh, I know there's capes and um, felt crowns, definitely, and probably some magic wands. So if you come without a costume, you can always pick up a piece or two. Very awesome. What entertainment can people uh, expect to see there? Well, we will have some dance demonstrations. There's a ballet dance troupe coming and uh, Scottish Highland dancers coming as well. There will be some combat demonstrations by some of the various groups. And uh, those are always well received. And... For the kids who want to try out some combat themselves, there will be a chance to attack some Vikings with some Ooh. pool noodles. So. Oh, fun. We mentioned that this was going on since 2012, correct? Yes. That's right. So what has been the feedback? Like, how was it when it first started to now? Like, wh what's the expectation? Um, this year, it's been outstanding. Uh, Jen Matheson from the Norwood Grove Biz took it on in 2016 and continued it with success. And this year, the Sons of a Lou Viking reenactment was approached by Jen. She asked my husband, Sheldon Dick, who's the leader of Sons of Lou, if he could find enough people to organize this well-anticipated event. Sheldon said, ah, we got this. And the Sons of Lou and Friends, many wonderful volunteers, took on this huge task with four months' notice and no budget. So... This year, the feedback has been outstanding. With the help of some amazing volunteers, we got fabulous advice. We increased our social media presence, marketed like mad, pounded the pavement, handed out flyers, connected with local businesses, some who were quite excited it would continue this year. We got some sponsors. We talked to Brayson Hall. Thanks, Christian, for our year support. I have to say, Christian Christensen was a huge um, help advice-wise. And next year, we will be having a uh, beer garden Ooh. donated by them. Uh, but I did want to make mention that it, we just didn't have time to get it up and running this year. It's too close for permits and stuff. Um, but we did interviews. We talked to people. And now, even Brian Bowman. The Winnipeg's mayor is coming by to welcome adventurers to our festival at 11 a.m. So if you want to say hi to the mayor, come by at 11. That's an optimum time. Thank you both for coming here today on River City 360. Uh, before I let you go, tell us a little bit about Sons of Lou and exactly what the organization is about. The Sons of Lou is a reenactment group and our focus is the Viking era. So what we do is we try and represent to the best of our knowledge um, the way life was like uh, during the Viking era. So we have combat displays and we ha also have living history displays. And in our living history displays, we like to show um, some of the crafts that they would have done. Um, we show uh, items that have been found in an archaeological context 
that we have recreated using traditional methods. And um, we answer all the questions that we can possibly answer when people come by to talk to us. Is there anything else you would like to add about uh, this Swords and Sabre Festival? This will be a very exciting day. It is absolutely free for admission. And there are so many different genres of things. Everyone is welcome. And everyone gets to be a kid again. And who doesn't like that? Life is, life is hard. It doesn't have to be every day. You can have fun one day. One of the things that I really like about this event in particular is that it is um, very casual and accepting. And you never know what you're going to see. If you want to dress up as anything that day, come down and enjoy being dressed up among other people who are dressed up and just have a really good time. Thank you both again, Kathy and Catherine. Awesome. Thank Thanks you. very much. Thanks, Sunny. Coming up next, we're going to speak with Brigitte DePap. She is the Youth Engagement Coordinator at the Winnipeg Foundation, and we'll be speaking about the summer internship program. We're also going to be speaking with a couple of the summer interns to learn about their experiences working with local Winnipeg charities this summer. Hello and welcome back to River City 360. I'm Sonny Permolo and today I'm with Brigitte DePap, Youth Engagement Coordinator from the Winnipeg Foundation. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sonny. So Brigitte, uh, what we wanted to talk about today is the uh, summer internship program. Can you tell me a little bit on how that all got started? Yeah, so the summer internship program was started to give youth an opportunity to have employment in the charitable sector and it's a really inspiring program because many high school students they want to find work uh, for their summers and this is a really great way to not only find work but also to find really meaningful placements with community organizations that are doing amazing work in our community. How long have you had the program running? So it started in 2005. So the program is about 13 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's really inspiring as well because the program was started here. And Megan Tate, who's the director of community grants here, she really spearheaded the program. And it's wonderful to see how it's grown since then and to see all the different community organizations that we've been able to have placements at over the years. Speaking of growth, how many students have uh, you seen come through the program on average? The program started with a smaller cohort, and then uh, since then it's really grown. So uh, last year I think there was over... 12 uh, placements and this year we have four um, so we have a bit of a smaller cohort this year um, but we're looking forward to next year to have a larger cohort again uh, to have about 12 placements. What types of placements can these students expect to be put in? There are placements at different community organizations. One thing that we really look for is that the student will have a meaningful project where they can take responsibility for it because part of what we're trying to do is build the next generation of youth leaders in the philanthropic sector and that's really what we're doing when we see how young people have specific projects that they can play a leadership role in so for example at inclusion winnipeg we just went for a site visit there it was wonderful and we got to see 
one of our interns really shining. And to me, that's one of the best parts of this program is seeing those interns thriving. And she did this wonderful presentation about Inclusion Winnipeg, the importance of the movement for people with intellectual disabilities. And her project is all about tracking the movement for those rights for those people by doing archival research, looking at media. It was amazing to see her desk and like all of these newspaper articles that she's been researching, but then also to do oral history. So to actually meet some of the people who have been at the forefront of this movement. Um, so that's an example of a project where an intern is really taking a leadership role and building those leadership skills. What kind of feedback did you get from the organizations? Have they told you about their experiences with uh, having the sippers around? Yeah, absolutely. That's been another really rewarding part has been going to the organization's for site visits because that's part of the program as well and the whole cohort goes together to the different organizations and the mentors have been so generous and so complimentary about their interns and it's been really awesome to see that um, just hearing an intern say you know this intern is fantastic um, we're so grateful for them uh, it's allowed us to really move forward on certain projects um, so that's exactly what we're hoping for I think that that's one of the best parts of this program as well is that organizations are able to get meaningful um, contributions from students. Um, young people bring a wonderful energy to the work and that's often what we're told as well is that there's this infusion of new energy that can really um, help the organization. So speaking of this new energy, I actually had the opportunity to speak with some of the sippers and here's what they had to say about their experiences. I'm here with CJ Moreno, student from Dakota Collegiate and intern at Art City. Welcome to the show, CJ. Oh, thank you for welcoming me. What made you take part in the Winnipeg Foundation Summer Internship Program? For this summer, I was thinking of doing a type of program or opportunity where I can make a difference and also get work experience. So the Summer Internship Program was a perfect fit. What did you learn about the community from your experiences at uh, Art City? Well, going into the position, I thought since most of the kids that I work with, they're from impoverished areas. So I thought it was going to be kind of depressing. But when I worked with them, they were so like happy and full of energy. And it's different in Art City. You get a sense of community there. What are some of your takeaways from the SIP program? Other than like work experience, a sense of community, like I've been volunteering for like different organizations and you don't really get a sense of community there. What are some takeaways from your placement? I know you mentioned that um, the community aspect, but what are some other things that you'll take away from that for your future? Maybe knowing more about the nonprofit uh, sector, like how much work is actually needed. For example, like at Art City, we cook a lot of like the kids uh, breakfast lunch and dinner so we have to do a bunch of shopping for that and you also have to do fundraisers so where do you see yourself in 10 years I, I want to like help more people out like I am in Art City I'm here with Rachel Bernhardt a student from Balmoral Hall School and intern for Inclusion Winnipeg what made you take part in the Winnipeg Foundation summer internship program 
I was extensively involved with the youth and philanthropy program at my school, and it was something that I really enjoyed, and I loved being a part of it. And I felt like the summer internship program was a good extension of the youth and philanthropy program. It would give me the opportunity to be involved for full time with the nonprofit sector, as well as contribute my skills and abilities in a way that would help others. What have you learned about the community from your time over at uh, Inclusion Winnipeg? I think what I've learned about the community, especially the community with intellectual disabilities, is it's a very strong one. Everybody wants to help each other, and they're really pushing towards an inclusive community, which together, when they put all their resources together and their skills, you know, they will be able to achieve that. Based on your experiences, uh, what are some of your takeaways from the SIP program? I think one of the biggest things is that although we don't always see the nonprofit sector and maybe we don't know about all the organizations in the nonprofit sector, the work that they are doing is really good. And I think it's important to remember to give back to those organizations through things like volunteering so that you can continue to be an active member of the community. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Well, in 10 years, I would like to be pursuing some sort of career in engineering, which is my course of study. But at the same time, I would like to continue to be involved in the nonprofit sector and hopefully with Inclusion Winnipeg through things like volunteering so that I can remain an active member of my community. So it's really great what some of these sippers had the opportunity to do through this program. Again, thank you, Brigitte, for visiting us today. We'll have you back again next week, and we'll talk a little bit more about this year in particular and what the sippers had to do in the program and hear from two more sippers. Uh, But again, thank you, Brigitte, for visiting us today on River City 360. Thank you, Sunny. Thanks, Sunny. Coming up next is the RC360 road trip, and this week it takes us to another 50th anniversary, which is that of the Cooks Creek Heritage Museum in Cooks Creek, Manitoba. Assistant curators Sidney Schaff and Jamie Sandwald took us on a tour of the many buildings in the museum, so we'll visit it right after our next song. And seeing as how on Sunday, August 26th, the Cooks Creek Heritage Museum is celebrating its 46th annual Heritage Day, Well, how about we play Sam Cooke with Having a Party right here on River City 360. We're having a party Dancing to the music Played by the DJ On the radio The Cokes are in the icebox Popcorn's on the table me and my baby, we're out here on the floor. So, Mr. Mr. DJ, keep those records playing, cause I'm having such a good time dancing with my baby. Everybody's swinging, Sally's doing that twist now. If you take requests, I got a few for you. Play that song called Soul Twist. Play that one called I Know. Don't forget them mashed potatoes. No other songs will do. Let me tell you, Mr. Mr. DJ, keep those records playing. Cause I'm having such a good time Dancing with my baby Having a party Everybody 
Welcome to the River City 360 Road Trip. Today we're heading out to Cook's Creek where we visited the Cook's Creek Heritage Museum. Let's go! So this is St. Mary's Chapel. Um, it actually used to be on Henderson Highway and it was built by the immigrants who came here because they felt like Winnipeggers had a hectic and busy lifestyle. So they would come here for some moments of rest. And at the time it would fit six people in it. You can go in if you want. And yeah, we just have some old things from the church from before it burnt down in here as well. So this building was donated from the Hutterite colony and you can actually see how it was made on the side. So this would be representative of an old pioneer home. So they would use spruce and then they would take clay to hold it all together. And then they would use manure and straws insulation and then put a whitewash over it. So if you go in, it's actually really cool in there. Cool as in cold? Cool as in cold, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can see an old piece of railroad over there because that's how they got here. They would take a boat to Halifax and then they would take the railroad from Halifax to Winnipeg at this Winnipeg station that's still there. It looks very different nowadays, but that's how they would get here. And then they would take a carriage or even walk if they couldn't afford any other way to get out here. So where are we right now? Describe sort of this house and what it's all about. So this is a pioneer home that was built in 1910. It's not a super wealthy family, but still a bit better off because you can see this one has two rooms downstairs and there's another two rooms upstairs. So a bit better than living in a one-room house like the last one we were in. Uh, but it was constructed the same way, the spruce logs, manure for insulation, all that fun stuff. A lot of the things you'll see in here show how much they had to do by hand. For example, making their own butter. Uh, which is what all these th items over here are, are for. Uh, you have We have a couple butter churns over here. Um, some of them were little, but then they, there's also really big ones that you would use for if you have a big family, which most people did back then. Cream separators. Uh, down here is a butter pounder, so they would still make their butter into bricks by putting the butter in there and pounding it into shape. But all this they would have to do by hand, which just shows how much work it went into running a household because you couldn't just go to the store and grab a stick of butter, whatever you need it. You had to make the butter yourself. And then over here we have a cabbage cutter. So that would obviously be very important for Ukrainians to make their sauerkraut. So you would just put the cabbage in there and then slide it kind of just like a mandolin now. Back out here on the side of this building, we have our little laundry area because they would do their laundry outside. So over here, you can see examples of many different old washing machines. The oldest one we have is from 1910. The earliest one is 1935. The older one is kind of a more cradle-shaped, while the newer ones are more round, which is a bit, a little bit closer to what we have nowadays, but still, you have to turn it around by hand. But not only do you have to do the washing by hand, again, you have to make soap by hand, which is by dripping water through wood ash to make potash. Uh, you add the potash to lye and tallow from boiling beef fat, and then boil the whole mixture, allow it to settle, scrape off the top layer, which has turned into jelly, and the jelly would be the soap and you would just keep doing that through all the layers. Uh, if you want to make bars of soap, you have to add salt and just let the mixture harden. So again, just an example of how hard work it was. All right, so this is our banished home. This home was built in the 20th century in 1900, and it would have housed probably around five to six people. And there is actually an upstairs above us as well. A lot of the things we have in here are things that would have belonged to a more luxurious family. So there's a lot of time-saving equipment. For example, we have an egg incubator over here. So you would put your fuel in here, 
and then you would put your eggs in here. And then we also have an ice cream maker over here. So that would be very high tech equipment back then. This here is our pole barn. Most of the building is original, except for this one exterior part over here. Uh, the pole barn was used as part of a set for a movie called A Bear Named Winnie, which was based on the story that also inspired Winnie the Pooh. So that's when that exterior part was added, but we kind of use this pole barn to store for farm equipment. So we have old Chevrolet, old tractors, a pump right there, a chopper, just a wide variety of the big equipment that you want to keep in a building. So this here is our blacksmith shop. It was built by a man named David Tyler Reed in 1909 with only $40 worth of lumber, which is pretty impressive because it's a very big structure. Uh, this part here would be where the actual forge was. It does still work. We don't have it running right now, but we kind of use it more for demonstrations recently. Like um, on Heritage Day, we'll have it up and running so people who come to see the museum will be able to see how a blacksmith would work. But you can just see the wide variety of tools they would have. He would make horseshoes. Uh, you can see blacksmith's tools over there that he would use when he was blacksmithing. Lots of clamps they would use to grab the hot metal. Um, over here is where he would actually shoe the horses. You can see it has a concrete block in the middle of the wood floor, which you want because otherwise the horse hooves will mess up your floor when they're getting shooed. You can see he had an, his own office that he built as part of the shop. And then this area over here was used for carriage repair. You can see we have some hold carriages in here to just give an example of what it would have looked like when it was operational. When cars became more popular than carriages, the youngest son of David Tyler Reed actually turned this part of the shop into a mechanic shop to repair cars in, which uh, was able to keep the business running for a lot longer than it might have otherwise if they had kept with more traditional things. And then over here we have an old printing press and we actually have a copy of the free press um, from September 2nd, 1935. So during the days of the printing press was when the terms uppercase and lowercase were coined because you would keep the not capital letters, lowercase letters on the lowercase and then the capital letters on the uppercase. And then another thing we actually just walked past that I find really interesting, I'll show you guys over here. So DT Reed built these tire skis for his son's Model T Ford so he could get to university. So he would put chains on the back tire and then the skis in the front and he could literally go through fields to get to school. So he was a very inventive man. <laughs> so this here is St. Michael's Roman Catholic Church. The original building was built in 1899. Uh, about th that time period, Cook Street only had about 16 families in the area, but it eventually grew and by the 20s there was about 400 families in the area. They actually had to upgrade the church back then because it needed to be bigger because there wasn't enough room. In 1937, unfortunately, the building burned down, so it had to be rebuilt again. So sadly, this is not original building, but the church is still active. Like we'll still have people coming here every Sunday. And most of the people who come here will be descended from the people who originally settled in Cooks Creek. This bell is a replica of the original bell that was built outside our church in 1899. So in the fall and winter, we offer Polish speaking lessons. Um, anybody is welcome. And it's offered at St. Michael's Church. Um, it's just in our basement. And you can find more information at our website at cchm.ca or email us at info at cchm.ca. Uh, so this here is our clay oven. The way the clay ovens would work is that it wouldn't just be a single family who has it because it was very expensive to build. You would actually have a communal one that the entire community would use. Uh, the way it works is you will build the fire in the oven 
And once it gets to the desired temperature, you can actually just scrape out all the coals, all everything from inside there, so it's not really dirty when you're putting your bread in. And because it's so well insulated, it will actually keep the heat in enough time for you to bake your bread. And we do offer fresh baked bread at the museum starting on Fridays in about mid-July. So here at the back of the blacksmith shop is what we call the back of the barn. This is where our Reviving the Past group will gather every Thursday. Uh, it's volunteers from around the area who help us with upkeep of the museum and researching artifacts and just learning about the past and keeping it alive. On August 26th, we have our annual Heritage Day. So we're going to be having a lot of pioneer activities, some performances um, from dancers and various bands from around the area. And it's also our 50th anniversary this year. So we'll have a bigger and more exciting Heritage Day. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the RC360 road trip. See you next week, same time, different place. Thanks again to Sydney Schaff and Jamie Sandwald for taking us on a tour of the Cooks Creek Heritage Museum. And that's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and a very special thank you to all of our guests for speaking with us as well. If you'd like to hear more RC360, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to the podcast, you can do so at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, Views and News from Around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with 93.7 CJNU-FM. We'd love to hear your feedback as well. If you want to request a song or suggest a topic for a future show, give us a call at 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching at River City 360 on Twitter and searching River City 360 on Facebook as well. I'm Robert Zirk, signing off for River City 360. And I'm Sonny Promolo. Thank you so much for tuning into the show, and we'll see you next week. Have a great day, and have a great weekend. Mm -hmm.